So as most of you know, um, we celebrate and we receive Holy Communion on the first Sunday of every month here at uh, Bemis United Methodist. And it, as, as Kevin mentioned earlier, today is recognized worldwide as, as World Communion Sunday. And this was a, uh, we, we always celebrate World Communion Sunday on the first Sunday of October. And uh, the church has really been doing this since about 1940. Uh, if my memory serves me correctly, I think this was initially started by a pastor uh, up in the Northeast, he was a Presbyterian pastor, and he wanted to—he uh, wanted a way, you know, to uh, to um, to live or or to you know to physically show the interconnectedness of all of our Christian all of our Christian of Christianity. Period, you know, regardless of denomination. So he kind of got this thing kickstarted, and uh, it kind of it really took off around 1940. And ever since then, this has been known as World Communion Sunday. And churches all across the globe, again, you know, and across denominational lines, geographic lines, celebrate this, uh, again, to, uh, to recognize the interconnectedness of, of all of us, uh, despite, despite what our, whatever our differences might be. So with all that in mind, I thought that um, I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit today about communion. Particularly, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the, today about what our tradition, the United Methodist Church, and really all Methodist and Wesleyan, historically Wesleyan traditions believe about the practice of communion. As you guys probably have figured out by now, um, my theology is, is explicitly Wesleyan, is explicitly Methodist. There is a, there's so much that I love about the history of the Methodist movement and how our churches approach Christianity. I love the fact that we emphasize the grace and the mercy and the love of God, while at the same time we emphasize pushing ourselves and pushing one another towards holiness, towards growing in Christ-likeness, Christ-like minds and hearts. I love that we emphasize the primary role that Scripture has in forming us as followers of Jesus. I love that we preach an evangelistic gospel evangelistic gospel meaning you know the, the fact that Christ died for our sins that he was resurrected on the third day and because of that we're able to have a full life in, in God we're able to be reconciled and justified before God through nothing but faith in what Christ has done for us I love, I love that part of our, of our tradition I love that we emphasize our call to social involvement that's one of the things I was missing early on in prior to uh, joining the Methodist Church. I love that we emphasize that call to social uh, involvement, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the sick, visiting the imprisoned. And I love the fact that we emphasize our uh, pursuing justice for the oppressed and for the marginalized of society. As a matter of fact, that idea of pursuing justice for the marginalized is so important to us that we've even included it in our baptismal vows our membership vows. If you guys have ever listened closely, whenever you're baptized into the church or whenever you come into the church uh, in any way, confirmation or transfer or whatever, this is part of our vows. Do you accept the freedom and the power that God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever form that they present themselves? That's how much we emphasize this social aspect of the gospel. But I also, above or included in all that, I love our theology of communion, how we understand communion, what we believe communion is, and how we believe that God works through receiving the bread and the wine. 
or the bread and the juice as, as, as we do. Communion is known, you know, by several different names throughout the church. If you've ever been a part of another church, you know, we call it, we call it Holy Communion here at Bemis. Sometimes you'll hear it referred to as the Eucharist. In other churches, sometimes you'll hear it referred to the Lord's Supper. Most of us know and most of us realize when we receive communion um, that it's a remembrance. It's a remembrance of what Christ has done for us through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. And what I want to talk to you guys about today is although that is certainly part of what communion is, and that is certainly part about what we believe in the Methodist Church about what communion is, it is only a part of it. And it, 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 it fails to give the entire picture. There is so much more involved when we receive the bread and the wine than just simply remembering, again, although that, that is a part of it. So if, we, if we're going to go by our, our own Methodist tradition, the first thing we have to remember, the first thing that we have to realize was that John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, was an Anglican priest. And he died an Anglican priest. He was never a Meth denominationally a Methodist. He, he was ordained in the Church of England, and when he died, he was still ordained in the Church of England. He never saw the Methodist movement as becoming a separate denomination. He always wanted it to simply be a renewal movement within the Anglican Church that he loved so very much. Now, if you've ever been to an Anglican service, or if you ever go to an Anglican service, I tell you that because this is, this, this is why I tell you that. If you ever attend an Anglican service, or, or, or ever have, you're going to notice that they are very, very serious about the Eucharist. You're going to notice they're very, very serious about receiving communion. It's part of every Sunday worship service in Anglican churches. As a matter of fact, it is really the focal point of the worship service. We have gotten to where the focal point in our services are people like me getting up here and preaching to you for 15, 20, 25 minutes. The, that's part of the services in the Anglican tradition but it pales in comparison, really, to the practice of receiving Holy Communion. Wesley believed so much in the sacrament of communion that he encouraged his followers to receive it as often as they possibly could. He generally received it several times a week. He encouraged those that were, that were pastors all to also receive it several times a week. What is a sacrament, you ask me? Well, we've got two sacraments in the United Methodist Church, baptism and Holy Communion. Sacraments are basically sacred acts or worship, uh, worship that have been ordained by Christ. It's, it's a physical or a visible sign of God's invisible grace, if that makes sense. Wesley even had a sermon, a very popular sermon, called The Duty of Constant Communion, that detailed, where he details why communion is so important in the life of Christians and the church and why should we should receive it as often as possible. So one of the reasons that we believe as Methodists that communion is so important is that it goes far beyond simply recalling and remembering the work of Jesus, which I mentioned a minute ago. And this is where I need you, want you guys to start to start taking in, because um, we all recognize that. We all, we all, we all know that it's, it's uh, to a degree, it's a memorial service where we remember this. But I want to pick up because this is where this is uh, this is where the Wesleyan and the Methodist theology of communion really starts coming into play. So yeah, we recognize it kind of as a memorial service. We recognize it kind of as remembering the work of Jesus on the cross, and uh, and and the resurrection, the atonement, and all that stuff. But in in our tradition, it's not so much simply remembering an event that occurred a long time ago in history. It's actually placing ourselves there 
It's about recalling that event so thoroughly and so intensely that what Christ did 2,000 years ago becomes very real and very alive to us in the present when we are receiving the bread and the wine. So that's one aspect that we tend to stress. Another aspect that we tend to stress and beyond our theology, uh, about our theology communion uh, is, is a part that makes it um, so very special. And this also happens to be a part of it that a lot of people struggle with um, for whatever reason or another. And that is that we believe that Christ is truly present in the elements. We believe that Christ is truly present with us when we receive the bread and the wine. While I was preparing for today, I came across a really neat story that I think kind of beautifully expresses this idea. And it was about a person who had visited a chapel and uh, that had a communion table where there was a stained glass window over the table. And in that stained glass window, it depicted the scene from the Gospels where the women had come and they had viewed and seen the, uh, the empty tomb. And the words of the angel to the women were written on that stained glass window. Those words were, he is not here. The words of the angel to the women, he is not here, was transcribed on that. So very ironically, whenever you looked at the communion table, you could see the words, he is not here. So that pretty well describes what many of us, many and many people, um, believe about communion. You know, that Jesus is remembered, but Jesus isn't really present with us. Understand that that is a severely deficient view of Holy Communion. It's also a severely uh, deficient view of what we find in Scripture. And I want us to take a look real quick at, at two little verses out of the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, I'll kind of explain to you what I mean by that, why, why, it's def why, why the idea of remembering Jesus, but yet Jesus not exactly being there with us, is really a deficient view. First, it's 1 Corinthians uh, 10 verses 16 and 17. And uh, really the focal point here is, is verse 16. I want to read this to you. Is not, Paul, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, is not the cup of thanksgiving the cup uh, for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body for we all share the one loaf. It's the word of God for the people of God. What I want you to to, to understand about this scripture and what I want to point out to you in this particular scripture again is in verse 16 and it's that word participation it's not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ it's not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ now this is one of those instances where it becomes very very important that we understand the original language that the Bible was written in, that this particular book was written in. That word participation in both of those is a Greek word called koinonia. Koinonia. And what koinonia basically means is it basically means it's, 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 it's kind of has to deal with community, um, but it also means fellowship. And it also means sharing. It's not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a fellowship 
blood of Christ. It's not the bread that we break, a fellowship in the body of Christ. Church, we are quite literally fellowshipping with Christ when we receive the bread and the wine. Very much so. It's as plain as day that through the bread and the wine, the bread and the juice, we actually commune with Jesus. It's more than just taking bread and, and juice into our bodies. Jesus is actually present with us in a very, very, very real way when we receive the Lord's Supper. How this occurs is a mystery. I know some of you guys are former Roman Catholics, and, and, and the Roman Catholic Church has a similar view to this, although it's, although it's a little bit different. How this occurs is a mystery. But what matters is, is that it's something that the church has embraced since its inception. <clears throat> you can read the writings of, the, of what we call the early church fathers, and, and they talk about this. As a matter of fact, they go above and beyond to emphasize the fact that Jesus quite literally is with us and is present in, when we receive these elements into our bodies. John Calvin, y'all may have heard of him before. I don't generally quote Calvin a lot, but he was a major figure in Protestant Reformation about 500 years ago. And speaking on this subject, he felt so strongly about this that he wrote these words. He said, to deny that a true communication of Jesus Christ is present to us in the Lord's Supper is to, is to render this holy sacrament frivolous and useless, a blasphemy, un, a blasphemy unfit to be listened to. That's how much we have always believed in the actual presence of Christ with us when we receive this sacrament. Powerful words from John Calvin that really drive home a great point about Jesus' presence with us during communion. Another source that I located this week while I was, while I was preparing put it like this. He said, if there, is no if there is no communication in Christ in and through the bread and the wine, then this meal is an exercise in futility. But if Christ is present in the bread and the wine, through the Spirit, we have here a means of grace, a harvest of blessings, and a real communion with Christ. That just raises the bar for me, knowing that it's more than just a memorial service for something that happened two millennia ago. To know that our Lord is physically, however that works, present with us at the time that we receive those elements. That makes it all the more sacred to me. Something else that this last person mentioned, he called it a means of grace, which is something else I want to talk to you guys about as far as our theology is concerned. You've heard me talk about the means of grace before. As a matter of fact, I think I mentioned it briefly last week. When we use that term means of grace in the Methodist tradition, basically we're, we're talking about these, these outward things that we do that, uh, that, that um, God utilizes to work, to do his work, to do his transform transformative work and work his grace through us. You know, prayer, we've all, <clears throat> I'll go over it again, prayer, scripture study, fellowshipping together like we're doing this morning, silence, meditation, uh, contemplation, uh, serving the poor, uh, all of these things that we physically do outwardly that open us up to be able to receive God's work in our lives. We believe that communion happens to be one of these things. That God, that this is one of the avenues, one of the practices, one of the disciplines that we participate in 
whereby we allow God, we put ourselves in a posture to be able to receive God's grace, to be able to receive whatever God wants to offer to us at the time. We've always, we've always, always, always believed in this as a means of grace. For Christians, this is important, for Christians, communion is a means of sanctifying grace. And I'll explain that to you again, because um, I know these, these are big words that make no sense to most of us. <clears throat> but sanctifying grace in our, in our tradition basically is another big churchy word <clears throat> that basically means that this is for Christians now. Um, basically, it's the work that continues throughout our lifetime. It is the grace of God, the work of God, the transformative work of God in our minds, in our hearts, that God continues to draw us to throughout our lifetimes, constantly pulling us, drawing us to grow closer to Him, drawing us to grow more into the mind and to the heart of Jesus. Of course, we have a duty to respond to that grace, and that's what communion offers us to a degree. Communion is about sanctifying grace. God sanctifying us in our lifetimes. Again, for Christians, it's the grace of God that works throughout, throughout our lifetime, drawing us again to be conformed into the image of Christ. When we receive communion, Christians, we are able to grow in the knowledge and the love of God and neighbor as we come head-to-head -head with God. We come head-to-head -head with God's love when we receive communion. We come head-to-head -head with the very real presence, again, of Jesus Christ in the sacrament. Folks, when we approach that table, when we come to that table, we ought to be ready to receive it. We ought, we ought, we ought to be excited that God's about to do a work in our lives. When we approach that table, when we come to that table, we need to be ready to receive the life-giving transformation that God wants to provide to us. Now, for non-Christians, now this is another interesting aspect of our theology. Along the same lines, we believe that God can and sometimes does convey justifying grace to non-Christians through the Lord's Supper. What's justifying grace, Pastor? Justifying grace is another big churchy word for the grace of God that initially draws us into a relationship with Jesus. Folks, God is, this is another cool thing that we understand about grace. God is always working in our lives, whether we know it or not, whether we recognize it or not. You know, I gave my heart and my life finally, finally to Christ about a decade ago. He was working in my life a long time before that event happened. <laughs> constantly pulling me towards him. I had to respond to it, but he was constantly pulling me towards him to some degree or another. That's what justifying grace is. Same thing as sanctifying grace. After we have that relation, when we, when we do have that relationship with Christ, God's still constantly working in our lives, constantly pulling us. So yeah, we believe that there's so much power in communion that God, Jesus' presence, the Holy Spirit's presence is so, is so much there when we receive communion that even non-Christians, that God is able and God sometimes very well does offer conversion to non-Christians upon receiving communion. If anybody comes to the table with any degree of faith, you're going to meet Jesus in this holy sacrament. And that brings us um, to one more belief that we have about communion. We believe in an open table. We don't deny communion to anybody precisely because it is a means of grace. The same reason we don't deny baptism to anybody. It's not mine to deny. It's not ours to deny. 
It's a means of grace. It's a gift just as much as salvation is. It's offered to anybody. Reverend Henry Knight, another Methodist pastor, put it like this. He said, the Lord's table is a gift for everyone, seeker and Christian alike. God meets all who accepts the invitation, and he draws them closer to receive the fullness of life that God gives. All who desire to live, all who desire to live and to lead a Christian life, regardless of age, ability, denomination, no denomination, are invited to the Lord's table to receive this holy meal. So as we receive that today, I'd like you guys to kind of keep this stuff in mind. And, and I think that should open up our hearts and open up our minds. I have to remember some of this stuff sometimes. Open up our hearts and open up our minds to actually what's, what's occurring and what God is offering to us as we, as we do this, this act, as we participate in this act together. But so often, you know, we just kind of take it, take it for granted going through the motions type thing. Communion is a big deal in our church. Always, always has been. It's been a big deal throughout, throughout 2,000 years of uh, the existence of the church. So I just want you guys to keep those in mind again. You know, remember that we're fully present with Christ. That we're fully present with our brothers and our sisters as we receive it. We recall Jesus' atonement for our sins, but we also recognize and receive the very real presence of Christ who is with us. And we look to receive that transformative work of grace that God so, so very much wants to give us through this simple, simple act.